0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the MotoGP Extra podcast. I'm Reese. and joining me as always to discuss the events of the weekend is my co-host Dil. Now this US weekend threw up pretty much everything from warm-up lap crashes to mechanical gremlins and everything in between. So we should probably get straight into it. Now one of the occurring themes throughout the weekend was actually the, the track conditions, both with the weather and the actual track itself. So take it away Dill. what were the riders saying about the circuit this weekend? Since Formula One has been going here along with GP, they've year on year made the track
1: worse for us. If you think of like a carpet, when you push a carpet, how it kind of creates ripples. It's exactly what they've done to the surface. Never mind that Kota is built on an old kind of bog land, so the surface does kind of derode and actually collapse. So year on year, each time they go there, it gets worse and worse. It's been something that's been said for the last five years. Every year. They are going to do this, they're going to do that. We get there, riders complain Friday, straight away the conditions aren't good enough. In the end of the back straight, I believe it's turn eleven, there's a patch that looks like you would see it on like a national road in Ireland or the UK where it just looks like they've quickly put a bit of a tar down it. It looks horrific. And it's caused crashes in all three classes in every session throughout the weekend. Um it's just ridiculous the conditions really it was it was a really poor display for texas i think me and reese were talking during the weekend i think it's just a bit of a flex like well we have the light or the the contract for gp we don't really need to do the work for it and um i'm quite adamant that we shouldn't be going back there after uh what we've seen today judging on some weird crashes some horrible injuries um warm-up lap crashes there's just so much going on tracks in such bad condition uh, overall attendance numbers are far down probably the worst we've seen in america in a long time so uh, overall other than the on-track stuff there wasn't much pretty anything decent around the uh, texas weekend it was
0: pretty poor overall for the the organizers image anyway yeah it certainly wasn't great and you make a good point that every year it's the same thing and I guess at this point, the organizers are like, well, the riders complain every year, but they still race the race. They still come every year. So maybe they are getting a little bit complacent with that because it was terrible. Like you say, at the end of the back straight into turn 12, there was that massive ripple and you could see it. When you can see it on the camera, you cannot believe how bad it must be on the bike. Like it's unbelievable. Um, I- I'm surprised they actually went ahead with it being that bad because it wasn't like it was just a, a bump offline or just a bump somewhere. Like it's a massive ripple in the middle of the track on the racing line where you're also trailing a bit of break as well at that point it was a recipe for disaster and as we saw there were quite a few crashes over the weekend so yeah it was uh, it was terrible it did seem like in a few areas it wasn't as bad as we've seen in previous years I seem to remember the the long sort of right-hander towards the end of the lap a couple of years ago like you could visibly see a lot of like massive holes sort of in that and that seemed to not be the case this year that seemed to be a bit better but yeah, you constantly see the bikes bumping all the time. Like it is, it is absolutely a terrible track. And to be honest, I I really don't envy the riders having to uh, to ride around it because it does seem like a pretty dangerous one. But yeah, in terms of track conditions, that's uh, pretty much it. Riders complaining, organizers not doing much about it, and I think you're probably right. Maybe it is time that they 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 change their mind and don't go here. But it would be a shame to lose the USGP. But again, I suppose if they're not getting the attendance figures, then that's what happens to, you know, quite a few other Grand prix that they've dropped off the calendars over the years. I mean, Bruno is a good example that for surfacing reasons, they didn't get the track resurfaced, they stopped going. So that was a staple on the calendar. So, you know, it, it can happen to any track. So maybe it could very well happen to Cota next year if they don't sort it out. But they they kind of have to go for Formula 1. So maybe they will actually have to resurface a, a few bits for the cars as well. But enough about the track conditions. We'll head into Moto3 and we'll start off with a rather bizarre incident, something that actually came up later on in the weekend again afterwards, but we'll talk about this first one. Josh Whatley crashing on the warm-up lap. You don't see that very often, do you, Dylan? It doesn't happen very often. I think the last time I can sort of remember it happening is uh, maybe Mugello 2021, where like um hit up the back of Zarko, or was it Zarko on the back of Bascianini? I can't remember, as someone braked on the formation lap, but it, it doesn't happen very often.
1: Yeah, it was. We were sitting down with my girlfriend watching the sprint race, and as the warm-up lap was gone, she asked me, "Has everyone ever crashed on the warm-up lap?" And I, of course, I listed off the riders: Rossi, Stoner. I went on, "Does other riders have done it?" But it's a massive X, next to your name if you've done it. Um, not I mean, bad company, Rossi Watton. Stoner. <laughs> yeah, bad, not bad company exactly. So it's there's some top riders have done it. It's just. You never really get the full story because as you get to later with Dixon, uh, it might not have bike or ride or question mark just because we we're not going to find out whether it was him or whether it was the bike, whether it was the tires. But back to Watley, because he's in a lesser team and he's at the back of the grid, we're not going to get like a a, a live kind of, um, a press release saying what's going to happen. It's kind of going to just fade into distance, so we don't really know what happened. You just see him slide off in the back of shot as they come into the final sector on the warm up lap. Not good enough really. You shouldn't really be crashing on a warm-up lap. Um, it's not good. It doesn't look good for the sport. And it's not good for you either. Crashing. He ended up retiring. He got on the bike. Came back into the pits. Too much damage. Now maybe. I could give the lad credit. Maybe there was damage to the bike beforehand. Maybe there was something wrong. that caused the crash. But again. We don't know at the moment. But just it didn't look good for Watley. And it Happened two times in, in two races. It was pretty strange. We'll get to that later
0: yeah it is interesting isn't it because you don't see it for years and then you see it happen twice in one day in two different races and it was i guess maybe you could say that the surface played a part in it but uh obviously we don't really know what caused our crashes i think it was turn 15 that Watley came off at which is it is a bit of a nasty left-hander but even still you know on the deformation lap you not really shouldn't really on that that much on the limit or may, maybe wasn't pushing enough that that could also be it because that also can cause crashes occasionally but Like you say, we probably won't ever find out with them being sort of a a team and a rider more towards the back of the field. But speaking of the field then, there was quite an early gap in the race, so usually in Moto3 you get everything very, very compact, but Texas, just the, the nature of the track, again the surface really does make the rider matter so much more than the bike at this track and it allowed the gaps just to form absolutely immediately so you had the the front the front guys they were sort of coming through like sort of turn nine ten and you could see some of the, there was a massive gap back to a group going through the snake after like two or three laps it was it's crazy i mean again the the laps are kind of distorted because it's such a long circuit so maybe a gap after three laps is at the same distance as like five laps at another track something like that but even still there were some strangely early gaps in the race wasn't there it was the, the it seemed like the more experienced guys definitely get to the front and pulling away
1: yeah, it's kind of like Philip Island, in a way. In Philip Island, they can't be grasped because it's down to the bike being not as much of a kind of holding back. It's the rider's track. A lot of these tracks that are the rider's tracks can have these gaps. But unfortunately, it's kind of backwards in Texas. The riders make the difference because the track is so bad and it's so uh, unfit for racing. On that like, it does, certain riders can deal with it better than others. And that's why we get these kind of weird gaps. But early in the motor 3 race, when you're seeing gaps, you know for the rest of your day, your, your racing is going to be pretty slim big gaps early, they only got bigger, there was groups throughout the field Um, even the racing, like when we had 6 or 7 in the top group, it was usually 6 at most points they were lining stern, they weren't passing each other there was no dive bombs, it was like they were afraid to make a mistake they were all quite uh, reservative coming through most of the race it wasn't until the last, we'll say 5 laps I can't lie, I was kind of dozing off, which is really rare in a Moto3 race um so bit of a weird one really um not not really sure what to say again I kind of blame the track for it because motor 3 is never boring it's never calm and collected
0: in a, a tactical motor 2 style race but it was today up until about four laps to go yeah it was a, it was a strange one because i think the slipstream didn't have seemed to have much of an effect here i think it was due to the fact they had a tailwind uh, on the long back straight so they weren't really able to slipstream each other either which i think sort of stopped the overtakes because kota it's a pretty difficult track to pass it's very one line as it is i mean you can take different lines through sort of the s section for example but you can't pass really in an s section it's very difficult because of the way you have to sort of set the bike up through there it does the lines you take but then also again down to the bumps down to the conditions there's no point risking a crash you know going for a pass when there's like 12 laps to goals and like that so yeah there wasn't a lot of overtakes like you say it was uh, a bit of a maybe not a snooze but it was definitely a bit of a a more boring motor three race, not quite the fairing bashing action that we are used to until we did get to four laps to go, and that's when it really started to kick off. And it? it started off really with uh Sasaki and uh Masia overtaking each other a couple of times, and then well, it sort of all went wrong for Sasaki, didn't it?
1: Yeah, at that point of the race, I just kind of sat up because I knew five, four laps to go, it's going to get interesting now, and then but half a lap later, Sasaki chose himself to the moon. It's your. It reminds me of Dennis Faj when someone you know is a championship favorite. He has the speed and gets to the race and crashes again. Two weeks in a row, he's done that now. Um, Same kind of crash too. From, yeah, Exactly. Yeah, it's kind of maybe a little bit trigger happy a bit. He doesn't seem to have the composure. And again, last year he had a bit of dissonance. But the fact that last year he got injured a few times or a lot of crashes, injuries, and that's kind of got in his way. And the fact that he wasn't there throughout the season couldn't put a championship chance together and could look like, judging from the first three rounds, that could be the same for this season, unfortunately, from Saki. even though he's, he's quite quick. He just doesn't seem to have the race management that he needs. Like, like to be fair, if it happens on the last lap, you kind of go, look, he was giving it everything. But, like, there was five laps to go at that point when he did crash. You, you're kind of, at that point, you're really just kind of on right i just need to get myself the last two laps and then i need to be in a position to go and do what i need to do so it's a, it a bit of a weird one again i guarantee if you ask him he was like the track condition is so bad i did nothing wrong the bike just snapped and went over the bars and he probably probably has a point it probably is a bit of a track position uh, condition again that push unfortunately for him put him out of the race it also put Messia out into the long Longlac area and then he probably set one of the fastest laps I've ever seen on a Mother 3 bike and he had caught him again by the end of the lap into that sector so then we had Messia uh, Diego Moreira or Tola Artigas and Holgado was just at this point starting to just fade away in the back so we had a battle between kind of a lot of your, your favourites really and my money straight away was on uh, the layer Leopard man Messia but just the he kind of got there, made an overtaking, and kind of got stuck in that Moto 3 battle of I pass you, you repass me in a corner of time. So it was just crazy, and it, to be fair, it was a good little finish and a, a great result for Artola
0: yeah it was great for autolo wasn't it because he had the massive moment at the start of the race how he stayed on the bike i had no idea so he sort of flicked it over to go for the right of turn two he must have just put his back wheel on the white line a little bit it looked like of so on the curb in the black uh, the white line and we'd seen a few crashes throughout the weekend at that corner doing that very thing i think Oliveira did it. i think martin did it as well a couple of different crashes there just supposed to stay on put him right back to the back he was the fastest guy throughout the whole race, wasn't he? He was unbelievable, making passes so easily. And then, obviously, he got into that lead group. He sat there for a while. Then, sort of, the he- uh, sort of the-, the path was just made for him. As Suzaki crashes, Masir has to go off the track. He's then in the lead. And then he has the attack from Moreira. I really did feel for Moreira, to be fair, because he-, he he was leading going into, like, the halfway point of the lap and ended up in fourth, bless him. It just, uh, wasn't quite to be for Moreira on this occasion, but it was a fantastic ride from Ortola. it's one of those rides where you are like wow th- this kid is good like because austin as well it is a strange track so you can't read too much into results that have happened here and i'm sure we'll talk about that a bit later with Moto2 and gp but yeah it was it was still a fantastic ride from the, the kid and he, he really really deserved the, the the win yeah he was <laughs> like his his save alone was
1: worthy of the win like how he ever stayed on like he Touch the line, nearly goes over the top, runs off the track in turn two, then has to rejoin in P18, I believe. And then at that point, you're like, oh, the race win is probably gone. You, you kind of just forget about him. He's like, yeah, he's never in the race now. He's back there with the uh, mid-table riders. So you completely put him out of your head. At this point, then you're thinking, right, what can Messiah and Sasaki do at the front? Will one of them have a breakaway lead? Will there? And you just completely rule Artaud out. Then little by little oh he's p11 geez that's a good recovery he might still get a top 10 and he's p8 and he's p5 and he's in the group and then he's just sitting there you're like well surely he's burned his tire up surely there's no way now he's going to keep this pace up he gets himself into third then the two boys at the front of an instant and he takes lead and you're like there's no way he can win it and he actually brings a home and wins it in fairness to him he did get passed by the brazilian but just a small mistake from marrera and that cost him artola took his chance and to be fair he deserved a win because he was the quickest and I would have been gutted if he crashed crashed that start because he had such good pace and it's a good uh, good victory and hopefully he could spur him on to better things for the rest of the season.
0: Yeah, hopefully he will be one of those that sort of takes that and has a really good run of form because we've seen a couple of bright moments from him over the last year or so but I think this is the round where he's really you know, turned up and he's like, I'm here, I'm here to win. So hopefully Ortola can try and carry that through into the European season. But we'll move on to Moto2 now then, and obviously we mentioned at the start of Moto3, there was another warm-up lap crash, and that was for Jake Dixon in Moto2, and a strange one coming through Turn 9, I believe it's Turn 9, and he sort of uh, he sort of got on the throttle, and then the, you kind of heard the bike sort of just start to to go, like almost as if it just went over a bump or something. Something strange seemed to happen with the bike as he got on the throttle, whether it was a bump, whether it was his mistake because he clipped the kerb, whether it was a mechanical issue, we're not really sure, but it sort of threw him over the top. And Danny was, and that was him out because the bike was too damaged to get back on. Yeah, it was. It was a pretty big crash, really.
1: And because it's the warm-up lap, you get these helicopter shots of them all going round. The commentators, they have the the um, attendance on screen. It's it's something that like they don't really focus too much on. Then they go to like usually the the triple cam camera of the championship leader and the grid and the teams and all that. And they're never actually focused on what the riders are doing on the warm-up lap. It's kind of like a this whole show they're building towards. So the footage we have is only coming over the crest where he's already crashed. So we don't know if he's touched the curb, if it was his own mistake or what actually happened. And we have the onboard from his uh, gyroscopic camera at the back of the bike. So again, judging from the audio, it's the bike does step out. It goes, it comes back, it goes and he goes over the top. It's quite an aggressive crash. Bike barrel rolled a couple of times into the gravel. That was the end of his race. There was no way he was getting back up. Um, the question
0: I posed to you. Do you reckon it was the bike error or rider error? Oh, that is a that's a tough one. I'm, I'm To be honest, I'm just going to say, I think it's rider error, to be honest with you. um, it, it, We saw other similar crashes like that over the weekend. We saw similar moments. Like, I don't think it's an egregious thing, but it's one of those things where like, I don't think he's really quite anticipated the bump. Perhaps because it's the warm-up lap, he's on a different line than he's been on all weekend because, you know, he's not pushing and he's clipped a bump he didn't know was there and it's unsettled the bike and maybe even sort of like flicked him a bit and then he's flicked his wrist as he's come back down and maybe too much throttle I don't know but yeah um, I'll ask you the same question do you think it's bike or rider I'm still
1: massively on defence I can't make my mind up
0: you made me answer I'm, <laughs> uh, I, <to> be <laughs> threw fair, me under I the bus towards,
1: <laughs> I will lean towards the rider because um, until we have any further actual confirmation if there was a bike issue or if it was a, some weird tyre issue or if it was the track but I reckon the rider's on the bike he should be good enough to stay on it for a warm-up lap uh, he had an interview during the motor 2 race and he had some choice for us to say that he's not an idiot he knows how to ride a bike he's never crashed on a warm-up lap before your point of him being slightly offline because it's a warm-up lap and he's kind of like just trying to get to heat the tyres make sure your brakes up to temperature make sure everything is where it should be at you under an engine map Everything you could be slightly distracted I can actually see that so that was actually what swayed me towards rider error. Um the fact that he crashed on a warm flap, a lot of times you always think it has to be a bike mistake because like these riders are paid big bucks to do what they do and they are the best in the business. Now they obviously they crash running on the limit, but like they, they could ride around at that pace for, forever more, really, is the way I look at it. But again, you make a solid point about uh, maybe offline on a different line, dirty part of the track. It is a really tight and twisty sector there kind of one line a lot of people touching the inside curb maybe he was just a touch wet. again if we had the outside camera footage we probably know a lot more because you can kind of tell by the bike's body language and what the bike has done to him you kind of can tell if it was a mechanical or if it's just too much throttle whatever but i'm gonna to lead towards dixon error unfortunately
0: yeah i i think it definitely could have been a bike error and uh you know if, if it is, if old man's is i've called it wrong but uh it does have a bit of form unfortunately for uh Throwing it at the fence, and uh, almost the way you mentioned the interview, it seemed too defensive in a way. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he was trying to say, I'm not an idiot, you know, I don't crash on wall laps if, like, maybe he feels a bit silly. I don't know. I mean, I suppose he probably would, even if it's a bike or what, you know, you've you, not even made it to the race. So, yeah, just one of those weird things. And to be fair, unlike the previous incident, I think we probably will maybe hear from it, maybe he'll either admit it was his fault, or, actually, it's hard to say, because if it's a bike error, they probably won't say, because they don't say a lot of the time, so, if he comes out and says it's his own fault, then we'll find that out, and if he doesn't, then it probably is a bike issue, but, whatever, I guess, uh, we'll just have to see how that story pans out, but, from one crash to an epic save, of course, we had Alonso Lopez, wasn't picked up at all, well, actually, we could talk about his race quickly, it wasn't a great race for him, unfortunately, he was uh, pretty fast at the start, then had a lot of mistakes, really started with this uh, save that he had with the the front end he managed to I don't know how he saved it it was completely gone so saved it on his elbows Marquez style it came back into grip and he stayed on the bike and it was something that I don't think was picked up was it at the time it was just shown after the race but yeah it was a bit of a messy race for Lopez but a good save nonetheless and picked up some decent points but I felt like he spent more time off the track than they did on it to be honest.
1: Yeah, I was, I was watching the race with it at my dinner, and I remember him coming through the snake section when he has the, the, the save. But you don't see, you see the, we'll say, kind of parallel to the snake, so you can see them going through left, right, left, right, and they're focused on the two in front. And you just see his head and shoulders come into the shot, but he's completely offline. And I remember calling at times, like, oh, he's white, he's after messing up the snake, not knowing that he had had a massive save going right and then the bike jumped and went f- so basically he missed the apex on the left side we'll say so you could see he was way further down the the screen we'll say for where he should have been and i could see he's like oh he's gone away he's obviously made a mistake but no way that i imagine that he had lost the front managed to receive it and go back but after that he dropped back from third back to about sixth and then whether it was Triumph issues, which will come to the minute, there have been some um, false neutrals, going down the box, some electrical issues. Every two or three laps, he ran off at turn 12 at the end of the back straight. He just ran straight off. And then the last where he didn't, he kind of like squared it off just on the curb to stay in the track limits. Um, Usually, a rider can get caught out into a corner like that. It is really difficult. But when you're doing it six, seven laps out of a race, you start to think surely there's something going on with the bike he's a professional right like again i go back to the integrity of a rider they're not stupid like they know how to deal with these things maybe it's just like something was engine wise not getting the engine and he wanted wasn't getting the downshifts as crisp but um in the box afterwards, he just looked bemused he just didn't know what was going on with that bike i'd imagine he had a he had a good pace early and just after he kind of got passed by the, the two in front he just kind of struggled and after that then went backwards and i'd say he probably had more moments that we didn't see on camera i'd say it was one of those races where he was probably glad to be even p7 or whatever he ended up finishing
0: yeah you're probably right with that he's probably had more moments and was glad to even finish the race makes me wonder whether maybe he had front tire problems like maybe it's overheated you don't see it so much in moto two it's more of a gp thing of course with the, the pressures and all the error and the, the braking but maybe if he had had a massive save like that maybe that stressed the front tire and then Obviously, he was struggling to get a stop for Turn 12, and that's probably putting more heat through the tyre. So it, it could have been one of those things. But like you say, there's been a lot of issues with the, the Moto2 bikes. We we'll may as well jump straight to that topic now since uh, we are talking about potential issues. And if you didn't know, obviously, it's been a problem for... Well, it's been a problem since 2010, the gearboxes, really. You know, I know there, there were Hondas for most of that, t- that... Well, I don't know actually if it's most of that period now, but there were Hondas for a good good amount of that period before they to sort of the Triumphs. And uh, but the motor 2 gearbox has never been great. Are they like sort of they're, they're more like street boxes in a way, they're not, um, you know, so high.
1: that's pretty much what they are. Yeah. They've always been, even with the Honley and they were just kind of a yeah. they were always called agricultural gearboxes because they were a really, really reliable semi race engine and then thrown a pretty kind of lame attempt at a gearbox onto it. So they always had these issues. And we thought when we went to Triumph that we would get a, a more clear picture, but um even back as far as I remember during COVID saw Sam Lowe's run on a couple of times and clatter some people and they were always talking about how they get like into these wears neutrals between first and second and it just takes a track like Cota where you have so many second firsts in a lap and then throw a 16 lap race you'll just see it more often than not really it does happen all the time it will happen at Catalonia it'll happen at Mugello you just won't know about it because there might be one corner where it might catch up one person the whole weekend and you don't really pick up on it but when there's 16 riders who've had multiple of it in the same corner then it starts to make its way to into light but uh it's just a kind of a less professional gearbox money saving gearbox you could call it and uh, that is kind of where your issue is at
0: yeah so basically obviously it's not such a good gearbox so you kind of get what's called a false neutral or uh, quite a lot which is where you're trying to sort of shift down the shift down or it can happen on the up but it's usually on the down shift When you're trying to go down, maybe at the end of the straight, you're trying to go down to first gear, uh, the gearbox is first, neutral, second. So when you're trying to go from second to first, it's nice engages neutral instead because it doesn't do a full click because it's like half a click between first and uh, second gear. That's where the neutral is. So a lot of the time they're getting these false neutrals. And then when you have that, you're out of control on the bike. You don't have the control anymore because you can't use the throttle or anything. The engine braking is completely gone when you're in neutral. So you just go straight on. You, You can't stop the bike very well anymore that's the uh, the main issue they're having with the gearboxes that was happening uh, I think Sam Lowe said he had quite a few I think he had he said he had like three on the way to the grid on the the sighting lap so that's not great when you get them on sighting lap now in fairness Lowe's kind of he's he's had he's probably had more than anybody else I would say I think it's fair or at least it's been reported on more so maybe it's partially down to his riding style as well maybe he doesn't quite catch the lever enough because it can be down to rider error but then, like you say, maybe Lopez was getting quite a few there. Acosta got one. That's what cost him the lead initially when he was leading the race. He uh, he had a false neutral. But then those are the, the gearbox issues. So, like I was saying, that's always been an issue. But then this season, there seems to be a new issue where the bikes are sort of cutting out. They're not really sure what's causing it, which is pretty scary. It's, it's some sort of electronical issue, it seems. Uh, but quite a few different riders have been having issues throughout the whole season, even you know, as far back as testing Portimao, all these, all these different things. In Argentina, you might have noticed the two American racing guys just randomly retired. That's because their bikes just cut out. Uh, probably the most notable incident though was in qualifying. Ayagora comes through the long right hand hander, Jake Dixon right behind him. His bike's completely cut out right in front of Dixon. Could have been a pretty horrendous accident that, because we've seen it go wrong before in uh, plenty of classes where a bike's cut out and, and the guy behind's been able to not been able to avoid. Fortunately, Agora was, you know, straight on it, sort of pulling out of the way. Dixon was on it, so they were both okay. But yeah, it's a scary issue. They're even having a, an emergency meeting on Saturday night, I believe, to try and figure out what's causing it. So yeah, there there seems to be quite a few issues with the Triumph bike at the moment. I'm hoping they can get that sorted because um, obviously the the cutting out is probably a bigger issue, but also the false neutrals. So they they need to try and get on top of that as well because both of them are pretty pretty bad safety issues, to be honest.
1: Yeah, they could do it. Or just redesign it. like the GP bikes and most super bikes. You have to engage neutral by pressing a button and shifting at the same time. They'll have a gate in the gearbox that will basically not allow you to go into neutral by not engaging this some sort of hydraulic hydraulic button. Motor two it's the cost reason is is the only thing that's stopping that. Um, it's been an issue. More like motor two was brought in as the cheap rugged. Good racing, kind of that was the whole selling point with that. they were going to be standardized ECUs, standardized engines, three or four chassis, uh, Dunlops up and down the grid, a durable tyre, doesn't blow up in GP, doesn't super bikes and everything else. And it was just brought in, everything will just be nice, cheap, it'll run, it will have some fun. But now we're getting to the point where I think the Triumph engines are showing up more uh, for whatever reason. I remember when they switched to the triumph engines a lot of people are blowing them up on the downshifts as they were over revving so again that's a bit of more engine side but again there's a lot of times we're having issues with these downshifting of these these bikes at the moment so to be honest i don't see it being rectified it's one of those things that's been there it's known it's not something that they don't know how to fix it's just a i'd imagine whoever does make the gearboxes could pretty easily solve the issue um but i just don't think they want to spend the money developing it into all 25 30 motor two bikes and trying to run it overseas and it will cost more money and i think that's just where they're they're trying to cut corners um personally i think it's a bit stupid that they don't because it is quite dangerous we saw sam Lowes in one of the austria races i think he hit was who did he hit now i think chantra was, was this chantra yeah i think Into it's chantra just... navarro might have been it happened to Chantra last year here. Yeah, well. Chantra he, did, he did it to it.
0: Sam <laughs> last year. Yeah, It, it hit exactly, Austin, yeah. and then a couple of years before, Sam had done it to Chantra, and I think also Navarro he, might have been in that one too.
1: Yeah, that like you, just, you see it, because it was a perfect example today with Pedro Costa. He comes in, he's backshifting, backshifting, goes into neutral, the bike just goes completely quiet. You hear then a massive crunch as he basically forces it back into gear, because... He's kind of in between no man's land. The gears are kind of slightly in mesh. And then they mesh. And it just it sounds bad. It sounded horrible on board. Because like we said. You lose your engine brake. And when it's in neutral. You've no kind of pull through the, the chain. And through your drive train. So unfortunately it's going to keep happening. And we could see a massive accident. Like we did back in 2020 with it. It's horrible to see. But in terms of the electrical issue. That's something that they just have to diagnose. The, the emergency meetings. It is quite scary. Um, Everyone thought that. Ayagora lost the front and he saves on his elbow and he picks it up but the fact that like Jake said he's like completely chopped the throttle meaning like he completely closed it and sat the bike up but the bike just completely stopped and cut out lost all engine it, it is quite scary when that happens because the bike can actually lock on you like an old kind of two stroke seizing so it can be it could be quite serious and a serious incident if it went wrong in the wrong place like if that happened in the opening lap in the straight like he will go backwards into the group and that would just be catastrophic so I uh, couple of incidents here now we need to kind of get sorted mechanical wise usually we don't talk about uh, the issues with, in any three classes but small few issues creeping into one two and I, I'd like them to be addressed ASAP really
0: Yeah I think they do need to fix them I'm sure they'll get on top of this electrical issue pretty quickly I think they're already thinking that it's um, a certain component that a lot of the teams are using because some teams haven't had any issues I think Speed Up and um, Io, Io I think are the only two that haven't had issues supposedly so Maybe I don't know whether they can really share what components they're using because I guess they want to keep their advantage. But I guess when it comes to safety reason, maybe they can look at a list and say, OK, we're not using that. So maybe it could be that or something. Like that. I don't I suppose they don't have to say what they're using an alternative. But yeah, it's uh, hopefully that could be resolved. But I'm sure they'll be pretty on it with something like that, because obviously that is a, a major safety issue. But of course, there was uh, we did mention Acosta before there with his force neutral. He was leading the race till he got that. He ran wide. And then really a battle ensued between the two championship protagonists. Obviously, current championship leader Tony Arbolino took the lead after that incident, or was it Lopez for a little bit, and then Arbolino. But either way, it ended up yeah, with Arbolino being uh, in the lead of the race, and Acosta behind him in second. And he was stalking him for a long time. Considering the fact that at Austin the racing isn't particularly great, you don't tend to get you know proper battles. It was actually a pretty intriguing race, wasn't it, for Moto Two? It was uh, pretty good with Arbolino leading Acosta sort of sat on the back of him and it was definitely one of those things where where is he going to make the move? When is he going to do it? It was just a waiting game really, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, a few times he pulled alongside him on the back straight and you can just see him that he broke and tucked back in and Arbolinho did say it in part for him afterwards that he could actually hear him alongside him and he knew it was going to be there but he just said he had nothing really to defend him with and when it happened he actually went a couple of laps early then made a mistake into the exact corner and turn 12 because he didn't have his marker of the the fellow right in front of him so made the pass lost the position and then we're like great he now knows he's going to try it there we thought we'd have a a closer battle I think over one lap I think um, the Italian had the top end kind of overall advantage but Acosta just seemed to have the the racecraft and was able to spring it on Arbolino fabulous riding for both of them, ultra clean both of them down to the wire Ar Arbelino never gave up, even after being passed, and on the last lap had a couple of chances, but just across the road, the perfect defensive race, very, very, very wise of where to put the bike, and he just gave nothing to Arbelino. And to be fair, Arbelino was there; he was ready for the opportunity, but it just never came, and it was a a great battle. And I reckon this could be our two main championship rivals. A bit like uh, a couple of years back when you had the two I.O. Remy Gardner and Fernandez. Um Raul Fernandez going head to head. I think
0: these are two
1: boys now for the championship.
0: Yeah, I think so because I mean if you look at the, the form, the pace, you mean you kind of don't realise it because there was a the season break. You're thinking, oh Arbolino's been pretty good, but Arbelino's won like most of the, the, the last few races because if you go back to even like Thailand, basically from Thailand he's won like I think like half the races that have happened or something like that. So it is quite a lot. Um Arbelino is on top form right now. Obviously Acosta had actually a pretty good rookie year last year, all things considered. But now a fresh start, no injuries, things like that. He was always going to be the man to beat, and I think it is definitely going to be between the two of them. And Arbelino said as soon as he got back to Port Fermi, this isn't the end. This isn't the end. Mm-hmm. You know, it's gonna he's going to try and beat him next time. He's going to want to make sure he beats Acosta, and it'd be great to see them both go wheel to wheel a bit more, or uh, bar to bar throughout the season because it was it was a great battle um, well played by Acosta it really did show his class really the way he defended that because you know there's nothing Arbolino could have done because Acosta didn't make a mistake Acosta defended the inside Arbolino, if he tried to then go any tighter he would have just completely ran into him or just completely missed the corner so there was nothing he could have done really to try and pass him in those last couple of corners so yeah great killing in between the two of them and like you said I really hope that we see some more. But behind those two guys, there was one hell of a scrap for the podium, and it's a bit of a shame we didn't see so much of it, but of course we were focused on the leader. But then all of a sudden, Bo Benschneider, who... The, the TV coverage, they did flick to him a few times, didn't they, as he sort of made his progress to the field. We saw him catch up to the back of that sort of battle that was um, Aldeguer, the two Grassini bikes, um, Lopez, uh, obviously also Canet as well. So that five-rider scrap, we saw him clo- close up to the back of them. And then all of a sudden, out the last corner, Bo Benschneider's third. It was it was crazy, wasn't it? Um, I think Canet had a lot to do with that, with uh, some of his uh, passing attempts on the last lap. But he, he just came from nowhere, didn't he, Bo Benschneider take his first podium. Yeah, it was. It was you were
1: watching the two drag racing to the line, and then the camera just kind of pans to the final corner, and Bo benchner just comes out of the smoke, and you're kind of like, what? What happened? To the last three corners there that we've missed, but they did show a replay of Canet, who was completely over the limit on the last lap, into twelve, runs straight on, picks up another rider, he runs off track, then into the next right hander into thirteen, absolutely clatters into the side of Fermin Aldeguer, taking them both out of. Now didn't crash, but basically random boat and off the track enough that that kind of really sold them out of the, the podium battle and then in fairness Bo Ben Schneider did manage to pass into the final corner put a move on Jeremy Alcoba it was the last corner was... he did that yeah it was the last corner he managed to somehow do it because he came out of the the one behind him and that was that was into the final corner when whether maybe Alcoba, Alcoba a went, made a mistake or went defensive maybe had a moment whatever but he managed to do it in the final corner, which is a no mean feat. So, fantastic for him. He's looked good for a couple of years, but it's just kind of taken a while to get there. He's quite big. I always wonder, is the size too much of a disadvantage? But uh, to be fair to him today, kind of his style of track, very physical, very kind of demanding on the body. A taller rider usually
0: can use or leverage a bit
1: more, but hats off to him. Great result.
0: Yeah, it's nice to see Bo because he's not at the easiest time. Obviously, in Moto3, he showed some signs of brilliance, but it was too big. Got moved up to Moto2. He's been on some pretty poor machinery. I think once he uh, had a bit of like shrapnel, basically, from the engine, go through his leg. Like I'm pretty sure the engine sort of exploded and sent something through his leg and broke his leg once. I think that was on an NTS, maybe, if I'm not mistaken. So he's not mm. had it easy. And he showed some signs of promise last year. Wasn't quite able to deliver on them, but, yeah, it's great to see that he has managed to uh, actually find, deliver that one. And he also a nice tribute to his granddad who apparently had died uh, a couple of days ago so yes uh, wonderful for him to be on the podium to sort of do that uh, do that tribute But moving on to MotoGP now of course we will start with the sprint a little bit less entertaining than the last couple of sprints a little bit less crazy but that is what you get with the circuit of the americas and uh it was a bit of a surprising weekend in terms of some of the performance for the riders but the Yamaha, Fabio Quattararo, actually looked to make a good start for once. His qualifying wasn't too bad, but again, we saw the same thing, getting blasted by the catties on the straight, stuck in a pack, and then Danny went at turn one. It was a bit of a shame for Quattararo, but then you get the commentator saying his lap times are good as Banyaya, so what's going on with Yamaha here? Well, it's, it's your typical Yamaha performance
1: of, unless they can qualify first and get out, a second lead on the opening lap they're not going to win anything this year really because Peko gets out to the lead Fabio gets nowhere near him early and he gets a good start in fairness makes best of what he can do ends up crashing after being passed by a Ducati no surprise then drops to last and it apparently matches Peko's lap times with a damaged m one so again I believe that it's when the Yamaha is near another rider their mentality is so broken that they're like, he's gonna pass me straight, he's gonna pass me straight, I gotta brake late, I gotta brake late. That they don't even use their strong points when they're in the fight. It's like they use just weak point as their strong point when they're near other bikes. That they try to brake late, they don't release the brake early and try and take corner speed to break a small gap away. Like when he got passed by Martin, he just gave everything. He was breaking so late to try and keep up with him. And then the crash came, which wasn't a surprise. Um, just slid off the inside tried to save it but just kept going and it just slid away from him frankly the way Yamaha are at they're not going to win anything this year really unless they, they, they'll have to get lucky and get to the front of race by someone getting taken out some sort of weird running off incident or whatever they're not unless they can qualify this year they're not going to be winning races they're not going to pass people it's as simple as that really
0: yeah, I mean it's kind of always been their struggle is that they uh, can't race the V4s but now it seems like they just can't qualify at all so it really puts them in a position because I mean we were saying earlier that oh, Fabio qualified not too badly and got a good start. I mean the 7th place, it's not it's not that great. Like compared to what he's been doing the rest of the year it is really good but yeah it's it kind of shows you where Yamaha are at in terms of qualifying when we're saying that 7th is a good result. But on the other side of the spectrum then we had Peko Banyaya, obviously his main race didn't quite go to plan, but we all talk about the sprint, so we'll uh, cover that first. Pole position, new lap record at Cota, really everything seems to be going well for him. Got a good start. Rins did pass him very briefly, but then he turned on the Ducati power, and poor old Rins, bless him, didn't stand a chance as he blasted past him, and then he pushed to try and keep up with Banya, but obviously just he just couldn't do it with everyone being on the limit in the sprint, and Banyai just came home to dominate the race, but... Yeah, it just uh it was another outstanding performance from Pekka. Not really much more to say about uh, about it than that. I don't know if you have anything to add, but uh, it just was typical Pekka performance managed to get to the lead and just sort of managed it from the front. Yeah, that was pretty much it. There wasn't uh the only question mark was what
1: what could Rins do? And when he kinda of got about his second the second half ahead of him, that was kind of it. Um no one else could touch him. The only people you'd imagine that'd be quick enough. By other Ducatis but there was no one in immediate danger to him so he kind of had a comfortable enough race and
0: in fairness didn't make any mistakes brought it home buying another another one over the bar yeah kind of bounced back almost from uh, Argentina at that point obviously with the crash in the main race obviously with the sprint race being the next race after kind of returned to the form that we saw of him at Portimao now, also in that race, we had a couple of manufacturers that have not been doing too too well this season, doing pretty well. We had the Honda, obviously Alex Rins managed to qualify quite well and was, was doing a very good job there, obviously made a couple of mistakes, but overall was uh, doing quite well. But Brad Binder as well was didn't have too bad of a sprint. Um, I think Miller struggled a little bit more in the uh, the sprint, but Brad seemed to get another good start once again, which is not exactly a surprise. It seems to be if he can get a good start in the sprint, he can kind of stay there, though. The bike is good enough for... Uh, to, to actually stay there for the short sprint, but doesn't seem to quite be there for the long races yet. Yeah, it was a, a
1: nice performance from KTM again. It looks like Jack's start wasn't great, and I think he fought his way back, but it was just ran out of laps. Brad is always just magnificent in the opening in his sector. He just makes up so many positions. Brave is risky, and he just he he does everything he needs to get his KTM there, and he's just a very good race rider he just he, he can just manage his races quite well so even if he doesn't have the race base of p5 he can still kind of hold on and just make his uh make his way in there and kind of get his elbows out so we'll be saying a lot about ktm this year because of binder sprint races but uh, i still think in a long race it looks like maybe uh jack might just have a bit more over him in the full feature length race so be interested to see how that develops throughout the the season
0: Yeah, I think that's not a bad shot because I think, to be honest, Miller's pace is better. I think that Binder is just more aggressive and can make it work more in the opening lap. So the sprint format probably suits um, Binder more. I mean, in fairness, Miller, I guess, has kind of been at the front of races. He's been on a good bike that's there week in, week out. He knows how to sort of approach the the race weekend, I guess. He knows how to approach the main race. Whereas Binder, in fairness, all of his wins have been in quite weird circumstances generally. So maybe he's not really quite fully tuned in how to balance the the bike throughout the race. It's more just his aggression is what makes it there. But I guess we'll see how that little teammate rivalry pans out throughout the rest of the season. But we'll move on to the main race now. And we were just talking about how good Peko was in the sprint race. But he reverted to type, didn't he, in the uh, the long race. That's two long races in a row now he's crashed out of a good position. 45 points down the drain. Definitely echoes of last year, it must be said. Crashing out of... Uh, well, unforced, I guess, in Argentina. In fairness, in this time, he, he was forced into the mistake by having the pressure of Alex Renz behind him, but as the world champion, on the best bike, when you've just dominated the sprint race, a bit of a needless error, don't you think?
1: Yeah, I think I'd actually be doing quite well in this challenge if I was there, because there's so many riders <laughs> who are underperforming, making mistakes. This You could see this year being a, a 2006 or 2020 season where the consistent rider, he wasn't the quickest throughout the year, he could just about do it if someone could be consistent throughout the whole season you could see someone doing that so at the moment there's no question of peck speed but he looks afraid to make a mistake and he keeps making them now the argentino on the team have come out and said he didn't do anything really different he didn't do anything outrageous it was just one of those things where unfortunately in the rain he just slipped off in this one they were doing ridiculous pace it, it goes very early. Uh, again, I wonder if it was tire temperature. Like, it's quite hot in Texas. They were putting a ridiculous pace on. And, um yeah, it just tips in. I reckon, again, this is another small incident where we didn't get a perfectly good angle of it. We got the onboards and we got, like, a panning shot from a helicopter from a different angle. So, it's very hard to see. But, I believe he is a touch wide, which, going through that corner, turn two, is notorious for talking the front. It's been one of those... Um, crash corners for many years now on the calendar where you just, you know you're going to get crashes. So, just, it's like, he probably doesn't do much wrong, really, but he's just slightly over what would be the limit for the race. He's probably just taking too much out of his tyre. Shouldn't be making the mistakes, but when I heard the bike crash, and I just saw in, like, the little, the little window up the top of the screen that he was gone, I wasn't surprised. I was kind of just thinking, like, yeah, he's, he's still not over his demons, really, and it's still... A lot to learn, and for someone who came into last year saying that he's going to use Valentino's greatest strength, which was like his mental strength on track, clearly is nowhere near what Valentino could do on on to his opponents. And he had a massive bike advantage over the guy behind him. He probably had speed advantage. What was the worst that Rins was going to do overtake him and probably hold him up for five laps? Towards the end of the race, you'd imagine Pecco would have had a lot more than Rins if he stayed upright. But I, th- I think just... I think Pecco is still, like, in his head is petrified for what happened to Le Mans where he got caught and then instantly just buckled. When he got passed into turn one and Saxon, buckled. It's it just... I think he thinks if he's been passed that he's losing it and he just tries too hard. He needs to take a step back and just try to i don't know how many times you've said this on this podcast he just needs to rule out these mistakes it is understandable to make the mistakes when you're under the utmost pressure but you know the guy behind you is not going to be there all year so what if he takes five points off you it's a long championship he's not a rival you do not need to beat him never again you will be much quicker than for the rest of the race you just need to have better race management unfortunately ducati have gotten their lorenzo-esque rider but they have not gotten the rossi mentality that they needed with it He's a bit mentally weak, and unfortunately, we keep seeing these incidents. And to be honest, it will continue until I actually don't know what's going to change because right now he's not under immense pressure. He's making these mistakes himself. He's not being he's he's not racing a Rossi or Americans. If he was, he'd be absolutely shredded in media like all these mistakes. So I don't know. It's gonna be. He needs to take a step back to go forward. It, it sounds easy, obviously, but he has to work a lot on himself to rule these mistakes out because he's thrown away too many points, regardless. Even if the mistakes are little and very, very hard to uh, rectify.
0: Yeah, I, it just seems to be a trait in Bagnaia. I, I don't think he'll ever stop doing it, to be honest. Because basically, you go back to the first first race of his MotoGP career. I don't think he, I don't know if he fell off in that one, to be fair. But if you go, if you just talk about his whole MotoGP career, he's always had a crash in him. In the race, Um remember back to 2020 when he was leading at Masano, Massive lead, completely unforced error, crashed out of the lead. Did it several times. It, you know, he also did it in 2021 at the same track. All right, in fairness, he was under pressure there from Mark Marquez. And obviously, there was the whole championship thing. So, fair enough, perhaps that, he got, that, that got to him a little bit. We saw so many times in 2022. I mean, the fact he almost lost that championship with, what, the like eight victories was, you know, testament in itself. He should never have been anywhere near losing that championship. Then it seems to start again here because two races, you know, if we're being harsh, two races out of three is fallen off of. Okay, you could say two races out of six because it's sprint races, but if you're talking about full, full races where there's 25 points up for grabs, he's thrown 45 of them away already. Um, and again, it's just one of those things where in Argentina, it was a wet race. It, it can happen. I don't think really being too harsh in there. And again, I guess here it's a strange track, but you can also look at, at the same point. He picked up the maximum points in the the sprint. He's been the quickest rider. He's got Alex Rins behind him, who is probably not going to be there for the rest of the season. It was a weird track, weird circumstances. A track that he goes really well at, and he was there pressuring him. And fair play to Rins because Rins did the Rossi thing. Like you were talking about the Rossi mentality. That was that's the Rossi mentality to really push your rival into a mistake by pushing the pace on, or applying that pressure from behind. And that's what Rins did perfectly. And, I think Rins is really underrated in his actual ability to force mistakes out of people because he's forced mistakes out of two of the best riders ever to do it, Marquez and Rossi in the past in, in similar scenarios and he's done it to Bagnaia today, All right, granted Rossi and Marquez didn't crash when they made their mistakes but they made mistakes that ultimately helped Rins out when he was applying pressure to them so yeah it's just a, a great trait of Rins but Yeah, I don't know about Banyar. Again, he could have perhaps let those uh, points go. In fairness, Rins had an amazing pace because they were running very similar pace to the sprint race in a race where there was a lot of tyre wear. So fair play to them. But uh, yeah, so I can see why Banyar probably crashed because they were going really, really hard, really quick. But it could have been one of those things where he could have just accepted he was going to lose to him, but he probably thought in his head that he was quicker than Rins and that he should be pulling away from him. I think that's ultimately what it was. Probably because he dominated the race the, the day before. He dominated qualifying. He just thought, well, I am I should be quicker than this guy. I should be pulling away more. Kept pushing until the mistake occurred. Perhaps. I, I don't really know. But, yeah, he definitely needs to take a look at himself. But, again, like you say, we've said this so many times. And it clearly doesn't work. Uh, he makes the same mistakes time and time again. Um, he's just got to make sure that he wins the races where he doesn't crash. Because it seems to be enough at the moment. But, um, yeah, he's uh, not leading the championship currently. Even despite winning... What most of the races this year so far I guess if you look at who's won the most it's definitely going to be him He won three if you count both the sprint races he's won as well so yeah um, definitely needs to try and get rid of it but like I said don't see it happening but then the other championship rival of the, the previous year Fabio Quattararo he did the opposite he crashed in the sprint and did a better race in the uh, the full length race uh, a decent race for Quattararo finally getting on the box got a good start like he did previously I think maybe learnt from his mistakes of the race before, but also was in a better position. He was further ahead of Marini for quite a bit of that race, so he wasn't. He didn't have a Ducati right behind him for, for a lot of the race. He was up to fourth pretty quickly. I think Marini made a mistake on the opening lap, and I think he passed him. And he had a bit of a gap, so he didn't have a Ducati right behind him. He didn't have a Ducati in front of him. He had a bit of a gap to Miller, who obviously crashed out in the end. So, yeah, he had a bit more clear air, ran a bit of a better race, and once he got away with the leaders, that was it. He's shown that he's got the pace still. It's just, every race so far, he's he's got stuck in the mid-pack.
1: He's still showed that he has the pace, but he's also racing. Now, again, there is no slow riders, but he's racing... What would you say, a third tier Ducati in Marini in terms of you go, yeah, GP22, I guess, yeah, yeah, so he's racing against that, still better than his bike, though, probably 100%. (laughs) But if you look at kind of your levels, where you'd imagine if he wants to win the world championship, he needs to beat Bagnaya Bastianini on the best that they have, not the guy that's on last year's bike in the third tier team, essentially. He also lost out to a second tier Honda, so again. Pecco crashed, Bastianini's at home, Marcus is at home, Miller crashed, you kind of get the team, that's P7 there already, if you kind of, put in the Royal Desire, kind of already ahead of him on pace, now, nothing away from him, brilliant performance, he kept Rins honest, um, but like, you you could easily see this race, have been like for P8, Rins did a great performance, to come on P8, Fabio just didn't have the pace, to catch him, got past, and an upcoming 10th, and really comes 9th, that could be what you could see, next weekend, the three boys again going out it. But they're not going out of for the win. They're going out it for 9th, 10th, and 8th. So, the way GP is these days, there is no kind of set script. You turn up each week, you don't know what's going to happen. And to be fair, as a viewer and as a neutral, it is great to watch. We get the sprint races, they're a bit mad. In terms of Yamaha, they still have speed. They just don't have enough in a hand that they can make the difference where they're strong. There's a famous saying from Senna, you don't override or overdrive or you're, you're quick. It's where you're, you're weak you need to focus on and unfortunately Yam have too many weaknesses. Their strength is not the Rossi era, the Lorenzo era of massive car speed, such good electronics, amazing drive out of the corner that they could do what they needed over one lap. And then do it for the race ahead of the other the V4s or whatever it would have been. Currently he can't do it over one lap, he can't really do it in the race unless he is given this kind Of bubble where he has two seconds in front, two seconds back, a bit of clear air, tire pressures are okay. It's too small of a little pinhole of a window where Fabio is able to operate that Yamaha yeah, even on the podium. He's interviewed by Simon Craver, he was complaining with no grip, uh, no acceleration, no top end. He was said he was very happy. He uh, kind of felt like he was saying he was kind of more happy with his own performance. Uh, he tanked the team, but like, he wasn't happy. Like you could see, he it was kind of through a gritted teeth that he was kind of saying all these words so they've a long road ahead but they still show that they on their day they can still produce a decent bike.
0: Yeah, I guess it's all about that really. Like you say obviously he got beat by second rate bikes, but this is a weird track where um Banyaya crashed, picked up 16 points at Banya, so ultimately not too bad. I know he lost I guess twelve the day before, so really he's only gained like four on him, but you know it's uh but then also I suppose the disappointment would be you know, last year you think in Mania, crashed out of a race. Quattara is going to be one to win that race, um, but yeah, he's doing the best with what he got. Obviously, we were really happy last weekend at Argentina to see that Morbidelli seemed to be, you know, finally finding this stride. He obviously he pretty much had Quattara covered that weekend, but it seems that that was that was a fluke. Um, it's not it's not transferred into the uh, this weekend. He was miles ahead of uh, the other bike again, so. Again, you can't really say he could get any more out of the bike, because clearly, as he showed in the sprint, he was already riding on the limit. But speaking of, another rider that, to be fair, has been outperforming the rest of the guys on the same bike as him. Vinales uh, on the Aprilia. Very interesting start for him. I I don't know what happened. I don't know if you know what really happened, but it was a terrible start. He went absolutely backwards and then sort of sided his way through. Again, helped out, obviously, some of the crashes. The Leish crashed early on, didn't he? That was obviously a position. Miller crashed. Bagnaglia crashed. So he got a few positions from that, but then he fought his way. Did he Did he finish fourth in the end, Vinales? Yep. Yeah, so he, he fought his way back up to fourth, which, in fairness, is pretty good for Vinales because he's not known as a guy that's particularly great at coming back when he's had these bad starts. Uh, so it's good to see. He actually does go pretty well at Cota, if, if I'm not mistaken. So is a track that is fairly decent at. But even still... Was a good recovery ride, but strange start for Vinales.
1: Yeah, his two race starts. One was his own error race and the, we'll say, the sprint race. That was human error. The second one was the bike just not not, um, not cooperating. They have some sort of gremlins in the launch. It's been an issue for Maverick more than LH. LH looks like he can get around it. But I think with a slightly weaker mind of Maverick, I think it plays on him more, and I think the more he does on it, the worse it gets for him. He went backwards in the sprint race and just with the sprint didn't have time to come back through but in the full Lent race you did mention the rider that fell off but in fairness he actually still overtook six seven riders to get back to p4 so it was a really good showing from him i was quite happy that he had made it back and at one point i think about three four laps ago uh fabio ran slightly on at turn 12 just off track and it dropped uh, the gap dropped to about 2.1 seconds and I thought three laps maybe he could do it and the Aprilia would have the legs on the Yamaha to probably make a move into turn 12 but uh, I think Fabio squared off the corner and I managed to pick up the pace for the last few laps but um, impressive from Vignales top Aprilia as you would imagine being probably the highest paid in the factory team uh, teammates struggling he did a good sprint race late but in the opening race crash turn one or sorry lap one in that stupid turn 12 he literally crashed exactly on the tarmac that we talked about so much and it was just a shame because you see him tip off in the background and you already know that he's just lost the front on the kind of ripply rubbered out track that is just caught and unfortunately that was exactly it we got a replay from the radar behind and you just see him just cross over this kind of grainy gravelly looking tarmac that you wouldn't even look at on a footpath and he just crosses over, and just as he regains grip on the, you'd say, the normal tarmac, like the front goes, end of his race, he almost saved it, but unfortunately that was that, and yeah, Vinales is definitely the best to put out at the moment, it'll be interesting to see what we can get from Miguel Oliver when he's fully fit, but for now Vinales just needs to, uh, just needs something at the start of the races again as usual but uh, he has good pace, which is quite interesting to see
0: going forward Yeah, I think he's caught, sort of picked up that number one mantle now um, Yeah, I don't I think uh, Alesh has beat him in maybe a couple of the sprint races, but I think Vinales has been ahead in all of the main races so far. So, uh, if I'm not mistaken, obviously I know Alesh did have an issue in Argentina, he obviously fell off in um, Austin, but that's no, not really Vinales' fault. So, yeah. Um, and I didn't mean to disparage him by saying those guys crashed, I was just pointing out that those guys were out of the way, and then yeah, he played yeah, all the other overtakes yeah. to get it. That's what got him onto fourth, because he probably would have been like seventh, I guess, if those guys were all in front. Although, I don't have a feeling he probably would have beat Miller. Um, probably, I think Miller would have faded, but I guess we'll never see how that one plays out. But we have mentioned our race winner Rins a few times. Obviously, I was talking about his uh, his pressuring off Bagnaia, so probably won't spend too much time on him. But who saw that coming? If you said that you thought Rins was going to put it on the front row, put it on the podium in the sprint race, and then win the main race, you're a liar. <laughs> Just because nobody thought that was going to happen. I mean, we all thought our oh, Honda are going to win at COTA now that Marquez isn't there, but Rins did a Marquez performance because I, I just can't figure out how he did it. I know Cota is a strange track, and the fact that he likes it obviously really elevated him, and they were saying in the race about um, his riding style, It seems to he seems to have been able to ride it with corner speed as well, like he's braking late but carrying corner speed, maybe a bit more like how Quattarara's run the Yamaha to an extent, um, and he's sort of run the Honda that way, he obviously tries to carry as much corner speed as possible, brakes late, This it seems to be working for him. And the other Hondas... All right. In fairness, one of them was Baradal, who's the test rider. Who, bless him, just gets sh- uh, just gets uh, drafted in every time poor old Marquez is injured. But he was miles clear. I mean, all the other Hondas didn't finish, did they? They crashed. But even before they crashed, Rins was a class of his own. It was a Marquez style performance. It was, it, you know, it was better than even what Quattararo did in comparison to Morbidelli, If you look at it like that.
1: Just before we touch on rings I just want to point out that Aleix and roel Fernandez's crash in the main race was caused by a failed rear right height device. Just right there while you were speaking, oh, just said I'd want to put that in. So it's just kind of broken now. Uh, They've had that before, haven't they? I think because I'm sure had Maverick race, had that at Vignale Vinales in Saxony yeah. last year. Costumes, I suppose, incorrect. But to go forward,
0: Silverstone. Also, I don't think his right out device. Is went on oh, So i think that's also a
1: big issue at the start he can't activate the right hand yeah. device so it could be an overall a pretty issue there but to move back on to rins i pose you the question have honda made a mistake assigning rins
0: to lcr and Mir to factory uh no because if they want rins to have the factory parts they'll just take the engineers over to lcr so I'd, it's a it's it's still a honda contract so they they are both hrc riders I mean, Rins has been getting the Marquez parts and I'm sure he has the Marquez engineers in his garage whilst Marquez is not here, so yes, I can see it in a way and to be honest, I'm surprised because I I think Rins actually is faster than Mir, but I expected Mir to do better on the V4 than Rins, but it seems like Rins is doing better at the moment and uh, fair play to him, but I, I can see what you mean by that. Is it a mistake to have hired Mir? But I guess you've hired the world champion. You've got both of them under HRC contracts. So, yeah, I, I don't think it's too bad. Because if they decide that they want to put some more resources towards Rins, they can. They've done it in the past. You know, like when Marcus has been injured, like Nakagami got all of his crew and stuff like that. And um, obviously in the past when Cal Crutchlow was winning races in the Czech team, he started getting parts. But I think he started getting priority over Pedrosa by the end. So, yeah, I I think they I can see what you mean, but no, I don't think so because I think they'll uh, funnel the, uh, the 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 resources towards Rins, but I, I'm interested to know what you think to that.
1: When they all were signed, I agreed with the decision because I think Mir is overall the more complete package than Rins again mainly because Rins is so underrated, so you don't you don't think of him as as a high-rated rider as as you would with Mir because the two championships, Model three and GP. A lot of people who I would politely say are probably not as invested in the sport or as knowledgeable in the sport go, why did Mir get the factory over Rins? Rins is better. And kind of that kind of bar pub talk where it's like, oh, well, Rins is way better. Like he's won more races and all this. I always look at kind of the data. You always hear how good technically Mare is. He was immense in Moto3. Very good in his debut season in Moto2. I think he, like I said, I think he's a more complete rider. I also thought he would have done better on a V four than RINS, but it looks like again no, right? I just want to stress that Texas is you might as well racing on the moon. It's does no form book here. It's aside from the like, fact that RINS goes really well there. Except <laughs> it's, yeah, it's it's kind of does not form book with bikes is what I should say. Again, no, I he's won no on other every bike, like he's there. ever been on there now. Exactly. He he's there is riders that can ex- excel at tracks like this. He's very good at this particular track is it going to be like it's going to be very interesting to see how this progresses throughout the season between a two hrc riders one in the full full singing and dancing repsol honda seat and one in the Luco chicanello racing team as the kind of backup rider we would say the fact that he's already got a front row got a podium in this spring race and won a race in his first three rounds we'll say we can't even say three races anymore it just shows how well he's adapted to it. Now I know all of them came in this round. Where he is a good rider. I still think. I st- I'm, I'm on the fence you see. Because I'm starting to understand why people think that Rins. Should have gotten the factory factory seat. It's a hard to answer. I still think for now. Mir will come good. I just think that he's he's had a tough 22 season. He's had a bad start to this year. He's had injuries. And I think he's just not gelling with that bike. And I think, I think the big issue is that. You have Rins coming from an inline 4 who's probably, like, how many years have people been saying they'd love to see Rins on an M1? He had that kind of lovely corner speed style, very nice flowing riding style as if he could extract a high corner speed. Going to the V4, you kind of expect him to struggle like he did in testing and he did in the opening rounds and especially compared to America's, who knows how to ride the bike. He Mir, actually didn't do
0: that looked, bad in the opening rounds. It was, it was he, he results were like 10th and 9th, like it's not too bad.
1: To be fair, they weren't too bad, but there were kind of results where he stayed rubber side down where others didn't gain a few positions. His his pace was never immense. Whereas obviously this weekend, he actually was there on genuine pace. But you'd still think that Mare would just grasp that opportunity more. It's going to be interesting as has gone, but for now, I think Mare just needs some time. Injuries, I think he needs a good result. He's had no good results crashed with fabio in the opening round in the sprint big crash argentina crashes again a couple of times this weekend doesn't seem to have the one lap pace everything about him looks like he's riding still is more like mark it's just seeming to be a lot of negatives at the moment for my
0: just i do like me and i hope he can turn around but for now rins is making him look silly yeah um i mean may shown up in a few sessions to be fair I think he is in a bit of a bad run of form, and we've seen this happen quite a few times now in the past, that you get stuck in the Honda hurt loop, you just keep getting hurt by the Honda, and you just lose confidence, and uh, yeah, it it doesn't really work out for you, so I'm hoping that he can try and bounce back from it, just trying to think of what tracks he's good at, I I don't know off the top of my head any mere special tracks, but I'm sure there is some. Austria. uh, Yes, Austria, which on a V4 probably is a bit easier than in Line 4, so well, we'll be waiting a while for that one, unfortunately, but uh, I guess we'll see when we get there, but hopefully Mia will be able to pick up, because it's nice to see the Honda's doing a bit better. Maybe the bike can improve, because apparently Rins is a fantastic development rider, so if he's now getting a bit of direction now that Mark's not here, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see if the bike does improve, because I'm not sure Mark is necessarily the best development rider. Um, but Usually the most naturally talented rider ever
1: can... They, they usually did the most one, yeah, exactly the stoner, the mark is kind of uh, syndrome you could say.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's uh, definitely interesting. I mean, to be honest, I think they could do with it the, with an overall rejig. Um, I'm not, I I don't know if I've really said it before, but I'm not particularly like on the Stefan Bradl bandwagon either. I think he's a nice guy and mm, yeah, a good rider, yeah. but the bike's not really been very good since he started being a test rider. So, do you maybe need? I think, to be honest, shell out a bit of money and get Pedrosa back. <laughs> I mean, I that'd think that'd be, be a, yeah, that would be that would exactly. be a good uh, good move. But we'll move on now to uh, obviously the second place finisher, Luca Marini. Technically his first podium in MotoGP because the uh, the sprint podiums don't count um, in the statistics as, as actual Grand Prix podiums. So uh, such his first podium, continuing the good form of the R46. Obviously his teammate won the last race. He picks up P2 here, his first podium. A pretty good ride, in fairness. Obviously, he came through, caught Quattararo. Didn't ever really look like he's going to trouble Rins, to be honest. I don't know if he maybe took a couple of tents out of him, but then I think Rins was managing at that point. As soon as he saw Peko go down, I think Rins was sort of managing the race because, again, he's he's got very good race management and racecraft. Like, ever since he had that spate of crashes. I'm talking about Rins again. It's <laughs> supposed to be hard about Marini. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go back to Marini. So, yeah, Marini did a. A great job. He's He's been improving slowly. He's a bit of a slow burner, isn't he, Marini? We've seen that in the, the lower classes. 2021 wasn't really very good. Uh, he got the front row. I think that was about the best, about the only notable thing he did that year. 2022, he, he sort of built himself up as Mr. Consistent, you know, stay on the bike, had a few good results here and there. And then now this year, he's hit the ground running, testing. He topped, I'm pretty sure he topped all the tests. Or yeah. he, he, he topped at least... He topped at least one day on each test anyway, whether he topped overall, I'm not not 100% sure, but he was looking good. He seems to have taken that form. Good at Argentina, good here, so good to see because there are some strange tracks where you could, you know, especially as a slightly inexperienced rider, I know he's done two full seasons, but even still, that's probably on the lower side compared to some of the other guys that have crashed out today in front of him. So, yeah, I I don't really have a lot to say about him because he had a clean start. Uh, He made a bit of a mistake in the sprint, I believe, off the start, and he sort of learnt from it, so... Yeah, it was a good race, wasn't it, from Marini?
1: Yeah, absolutely delighted from when he did pass. Um, quarter hour. he had about two laps where he took between the two laps about 0.7 off of Rins. But I think Rins then just responded because it looks like Rins then took about 0.6 back in one whole lap. So it looked like Rins was very comfortable with Quarter Arrow there. True in Marini, Marini pushes the pace on, gaps the Yamaha by about half a second, and then it just forces Rins into a response. So Rins just covered him off just kind of made him think that even are you pushing I can kind of just match you enough to get to the end but you have to say after the the opening round he had where he crashed so much took out the other Ducatis, had yeah, such a bad round you could easily see a rider drop his head there after having such a good pre-season everything going his way and then come to the first round and it just falls apart was good in the wet last time out was good pretty much throughout the whole weekend was up in the podium positions again last week obviously got Pipped a few times, this week, very good, very consistent as you'd imagine from It's just great to see the ball for your forty six there because if you, you kind of my worry was that with Bezecchi making so many steps that Marini could just fall back into the shadows a small bit. But again, just shows that he is coming along nicely and his his consistency is key. And it, it was just good seeing again up there because. It, being Valentino's half brother, throughout his careers, he's been asked a lot of questions about whether he deserves it. He's only there because of his brother. Just standing there, and I kind of think he you know he's he's kind of getting that monkey off his back that he's gotten the podium, he's gotten a couple of front rows. He he just is the the GP full GP package now, and I think he can push on, and there should be some more podiums from this year.
0: Yeah, I think it's good. It seems like this year both of the brothers, you know, Marini and and Alex Marquez. I think yeah. they've they've kind of shown that they definitely merit themselves in MotoGP. Not that they hadn't before, but you know, people always ask those questions. I think they've they've shown this you know, they stand on their own. Put them on a good bike, they'll bring good uh, bring home some good results. Now, obviously we've spoken about it being a pretty attritional race throughout. So we've listed off plenty of riders that have crashed. I think uh, obviously every Honda rider crashed. I I can't believe well, every Honda rider except Rin, sorry, crashed, which I say I can't believe. I think we've seen that actually happen quite a few times in the last few years. Just shows how hard that bike is to ride. Um, obviously, we've we spoke about Miller crashed. Actually, both KTNs crashed, didn't they? Because Binder crashed as well, didn't he? Um, yeah, and rejoined though because he finished P thirteen. He did rejoin, yeah, but he crashed. Um, yeah, he actually that's an interesting note. He he made that very desperate sort of pass on Zarco, then ran off the track, and then two corners later fell off. He was definitely pushing over the limit. Binder was a uh, yeah, not almost like a character. Really. Yeah, was. It strange. Obviously, we had the Aleish problem. I actually didn't even realise Ralph Fernandes had crashed, to be honest with you, until you said. He crashed them. and then retired and we only saw him come into the pits. We never saw the crash. Ah, and it's a ride-hard device issue. Hopefully, they can sort that out. But yeah. Well, um, for
1: about a year now, though, that's the fact that they had the issues in Saxony last hmm. year. So, it's a bit worrying. Yeah,
0: it's not great. Um, at least they haven't got the front devices to worry about anymore. It's just the rear ones. Yeah. But even still, it's... Uh, yeah. Um Not... Uh, not an ideal situation, shall we say, but yeah, pretty attritional race. Lots of crashes, couple of retirements, so you got any got any, anything else to say about the race overall? Because it was actually quite interesting. The the sprint was rather dull in a way, but the actual main race was pretty interesting.
1: Uh I hope we find another venue for the USA GP really is the main thing. That's the main conway for this whole week. Regardless of all the mistakes in Model 3, Model Two and GP, the sprint race. A lot of them you can tie back to the track conditions um it's a it's a great facility the track itself isn't bad it's just the condition of the track and the lack of kind of air from the owners i'd i'd love to go back to indianapolis everyone brings up oh why don't go back to luna sega it's not possible um even in 2012 when we were in 2013 when we were going there it was a bit sketchy i'm not gonna lie them bikes were getting a bit too quick even back then the last 10 years the bikes have come on leaps and bounds it would be it, it's not even worth imagining going back to Laguna um, I had actually a weird idea today because Laguna back in the day because I had such a small pit you only had uh, the GP paddock there no Moto 3 or 1 to 5 and 250s back in the day I had an idea sack GP off for a week just send motor 3 and or 2 <laughs> to Laguna's sake and leave them battle there that was my idea for a race weekend. so that's our new USA GP in my eyes
0: Yeah, they should do that. I mean, there's been these rumours lately that they're looking to do uh, MotoGP and F1 at the same weekend. And I imagine that would mean sacking Moto2 and Moto3 off. So send Moto2 and Moto3 off to Laguna on their own. (laughs) Send MotoGP off somewhere to race with F1. (laughs) Problem solved. That would be pretty terrible. Oh, oh, yeah. I'm not on board with that idea. but uh, (laughs) Completely against it as well. Yeah. I remember, but I remember it got mentioned once a few months ago. But it seems to be picking up traction. But uh, maybe that's something we'll do a completely separate podcast on at some point, because there'll probably be some outlandish comments from uh, somebody high up on on one of the sports talking about that uh, at some point that we'll uh, that we'll have to discuss. But that's it then for the USGP. Hopefully, you guys have enjoyed this episode of the podcast. If you are listening on Spotify, do rate us five stars, and if you are watching the video on Dill's channel give him a like as well really does help out in both algorithms but we'll see you next time for the Spanish GP at Jerez going to Europe now for well I suppose we've already been in Europe but the European leg of the season where things are a bit more normal as people say but let's see how chaotic that race turns out to be either way but we'll see you in the next one